Hi and welcome to our final concluding session in Helping Others to Freedom. Those of you who have been doing this course and following us through each session, um, thank you for joining with us and we really do hope that it's a help to you and a blessing to others who you may minister to. Today I want us to look at revival and deliverance, the bigger picture. And years ago I asked the question, why am I involved in this? I mean, I enjoyed seeing people helped, healed and set free. But I, I was asking the bigger question, what's all this about? And I remember hearing a friend of mine speaking and sharing his story, uh, how he had been a minister in uh, Scotland and how he had seen a lot of deliverance in his church. And he asked God the same question, what's all this about? And the Lord showed him that what was going on in the macro in individual lives is what God wanted to do in whole communities. In other words, the principles that pertain to personal healing and deliverance and freedom actually are the same principles that will set free whole communities and transform them into awakening and revival. Wow, that's incredible. And it fits in with Second Corinthians, sorry, Chronicles 7 verse 14, a very famous verse in revival. If my people, God says, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. There's a healing of the land. And it's the principles of healing and deliverance that, that will affect that. Frank Hammond in his book, Pigs in the Parlor, um, said deliverance is not a panacea, a cure-all, and we've emphasized that. Yet it, it is an important part of what God is doing in relationship to the current revival in the church. And I believe he's right. And I believe as we go forward into new moves of God, that this healing and deliverance ministry will be important because God wants to free up and heal his church so that we can be healing agents in the community and the world around us. God's intention um, was that we should be influential in our society in, in a positive light. In Mark, Matthew 16 verse 18, Jesus said, you remember, to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. We often misunderstand that verse. When Jesus talks about the gates of hell, he's talking about the governing authorities of hell because the, the gates of a town or city is often where the, the ruling body, the governing body assembly met to make judgments and rules upon laws. And um, uh, so Jesus' listeners wouldn't have understood the word church in our English language, of course, but the word in the original Greek, ecclesia, they would have understood because an ecclesia was a governing assembly. So if effectively what Jesus is saying is um, the governing authorities of hell will not be able to prevail against my advancing ecclesia, my governing authority of heaven, the church. So we are God's agents of change. We're to establish the influence of heaven on earth, spiritually speaking. I'm not talking about empire or war or anything like that uh, that has been done in the name of, of Christianity over the years. That's wrong. I'm talking about spiritually. Ephesians 3.10 in the NIV bears this out. God's intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So don't underestimate the repercussions and the consequences of this ministry to wider society and indeed the impact of one individual who's set free and healed. This is my first point, the impact of one deliverance that it can have on a whole community. Don't underestimate that. We see that in the story of the demoniac and particularly how it relates to the Decapolis, the ten cities nearby where he 
he, he lived. And in Matthew five eighteen to 20, we see that after Jesus delivered this man, it says Jesus got into the boat and he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis the ten cities all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now, prior to this man's deliverance, you remember there was a demonic storm. We know it was demonic because the the, the, the word that Jesus uses is used of Jesus to rebuke the storm and bring calm is the same word that's used of rebuking demonic spirits and it seems that the enemy was trying to drown Jesus because he he knew his intention of going over to deliver this man of the demons and this man was a trophy uh, for the evil one and believe indeed I believe he was a kind of staging post of influence of the kingdom of darkness in that area and it, it held sway over the whole area. The territory of the Decapolis that this man eventually goes to preach in certainly was one of the most challenging mission fields, a very evil dark place, a Gentile area. But later we read that after the man's deliverance crowds from the Decapolis began to follow Jesus and I believe this is testimony to the effectiveness of the healed man's witness. We see a wonderful miracle in Mark 7, 31 to 36. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. And then they brought to Jesus one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And immediately the ears were opened and the impediment uh, of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more they commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed. Isn't that a wonderful story? But you remember the initial reaction uh, of the locals after the demoniac was delivered. The immediate reaction was fear. And they actually asked Jesus to leave the whole region. But now we're getting multitudes of people who are following Jesus. Um, and there are more miracles taking place. And later on, Matthew fifteen thirty, we read, Great multitudes came to him in this area, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they led them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Now, perhaps I need to do a bit more work in this area. I think I... I should, but I think there's enough here to see that earthly places can have heavenly significance, positive heavenly significance when things happen and people's lives are set free and released. And um, we, we know that earthly places have heavenly significance when we look at Bethel, the house of God where the angels of God ascended and descended. And you remember Jacob had that dream of the ladder coming down from heaven to earth. And that seemed to have been a gateway. Literally it says a gateway to heaven. But there's also negative spiritual influences in areas. We, we read of Pergamos in the book of Revelation 2. Where it says Satan's throne. Satan's seat is that he had a, a kind of headquarters on the earth at that time in Pergamos. So places can be staging posts of both heaven and the kingdom of darkness. They can be colonies of the empire of heaven or hell, if you like. And often that is related to the rights we give the enemy by what we do on the land. 
And that's obviously a lot of people who are in the mission field and have to grapple with these types of things. But I want to suggest it's no different here uh, or wherever here is for you. Um, and people can be individual people's People can be staging posts of darkness where the enemy has sway even over houses and, and even over towns and vicinities. Individuals can be earthing points, if you like, conductors, vantage points for the strongholds of darkness. The second point, the impact that deliverance can have on demonic strongholds. I remember being in Hernhut um, in Germany in 2017 in the summertime and it was there I heard the story of Johann Blumhardt um, and the Mutlingen revival. And I heard how uh, Blumhardt went to be pastor in Mutlingen near, near the Black Forest and there was one girl in that area, Gottlieb and Dietus, who greatly was disturbed and, and no one had an answer for her problem and she was suspected of dabbling in dark magic practices which were rife in the area and I believe still are in the Black Forest area today. And it, it, her house became known for weird, surreal sounds, eerie goings on. And she also became very ill in mind and in body. And her doctor was convinced that there's something spiritual going on and he lamented that the church could do nothing about it. And initially the minister, uh, Johann Blumhardt, avoided this girl and eventually he too was challenged by her predicament when he realised this was demonic. He walked into her room, she was lying unconscious, and he shouted in her ear, Gottlieben, put your hands together and pray, Lord Jesus, help me. We have seen enough of what the devil can do, now let us see what the Lord Jesus can do. And this began the process of experimentation and uh, learning for around two years that Blumhardt would engage in. And this became known as Blumhardt's Battle or the Fight. And it all came to an end in 1842 when the demonic manifestations ended with the demons crying out, Jesus is victor, Jesus is victor. And the whole town heard the cry. And uh, this led to a massive revival. Many healings, signs and wonders took place. Even some opponents who, who, of the gospel were radically transformed. Marriages were saved and enemies, lifelong enemies were reconciled. But the turning point, what, what I want you to see, was the deliverance of this young woman. This girl had become like a conductor of demonic strongholds in the area. And when that influence was broken... Through the girl's deliverance, the gospel of the kingdom began to spread. I believe we see this in scripture. In Acts 9, Peter prayed for a man paralyzed for eight years. And it says when he was healed, two entire communities were set free, Lydda and Charon. You can read about that in Acts. And there's a sense in which this applies in Acts 8 also. When the area was under the influence of Simon the sorcerer, Simon Magus, people said they... they they greatly revered him. When he was converted, the whole town was changed to a place of joy. And I know there's a question mark over his conversion, but it seems to be that there was a, a knock-on effect. Um, and in Acts 19, 18 and 20, we've looked at this before. In Ephesus, it says, Many who believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
and they counted up the value of them and a total of 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. You see the effect of them dealing with darkness. It was an awakening in the area. We see in the Old Testament the law of double reference. Let me explain what that means. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, in Isaiah 14, if you read it, you'll, you'll find out that actually the writer is looking past the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, to Satan himself. You see the same thing of the king of Tyre in Ezekiel 28. It's talking about the king, but it's actually talking about Lucifer behind the king. And so what you're seeing there is there are actual kings, people, literally, but there's some other entity a spiritual entity behind the human entity it is the law of double reference that person uh, becomes a kind of strong man for the demonic influence in, in the ruling principality or whatever so i haven't all that worked out but i i believe it's there and i believe we can see the effects when individual people are released and transformed so there's the impact of one deliverance that can bring in a whole community the impact deliverance can have on demonic strongholds and the impact thirdly deliverance can have on the land the land is a meeting place between god and man remember that the land is the meeting place between god and mankind alistair petrie in his book in holy fear says i'm quoting him land contains the product of blessing and curse from previous years and generations this becomes a feeding trough for whatever takes place on that area, whether a church, a business, a city, a nation, etc. That affects both present and future generations. Until the present day stewards address these issues, then the issues from the past still have a spiritual cause and effect. This allows a spiritual malaise to linger in that place, blinding the minds of the people from the Gospel of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Until this malaise is addressed, the productivity and fruitfulness God would want for that area is subject to robbery, exploitation, usury, and whatever may be opposite to God's purpose for that place. This is what minimizes the ability of the people of God in approaching and releasing his vision for that area with authority and authenticity. And so we need to grapple, we need to look for the root issues just as we do in a person's life, the keys, the rights that the enemy has got over them, we need to look for that in, in, in nations, in communities, and we need to repent of those things and the sins of our forefathers so that the land can be set free and so that blessing can come upon our nations and communities. Finally, the how-to of this, ground-level warfare affecting heavenly shift with earthly results. This is the way to make a difference, the bigger picture, to see revival, um, deliverance and healing of lands. Um, what I'm saying is that ground level warfare is how we weaken the command, the rule and the reign of the powers of darkness in any area. Now this is important because a lot of people try to wrestle directly with principalities and powers um, and we need to be very careful with that, that, that we know what we're doing and we're, we're, we're covered and protected and we're being led of God when we do certain things. I'm not going to go into all that. But essentially the main way that we disarm and weaken those forces is through the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because it's through the cross that he disarmed. He spoiled principalities and powers already. And by announcing that gospel, we are in effect 
declaring that the enemy has lost his grounds. Uh, but also when people are born again and set free themselves, the enemy begins to be uh, weakened in his power because it's through people that he influences. People are uh, staging posts of his power, um, earthing points. And so we really need to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that Jesus has set us free and we need to come into agreement with that and change your mind, repent and believe this wonderful good news. The second thing to do is coming in the opposite spirit that pervades the territory. So, for instance, in our context of Northern Ireland, there is a, a stronghold of sectarianism, a religious spirit and divisiveness. And we actually need to come in the opposite spirit to that. And uh, we, we need to be the peacemakers. We need to be bringing reconciliation, not actually engaging in the same tactics. And very often that's the mistake that we make. We try to fight fire with fire. But actually, we need to come in the opposite spirit, whatever way that applies for you in your context. The third thing is, Scripture indicates, it's our responsibility to bind and loose. And again, this is a huge uh, subject in of itself. But Jesus said in Matthew 16, 19, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there's a, there's a need to teach further on that, to understand what it means and what it doesn't mean. But uh, someone put it like this, it is our responsibility to guard, keep and occupy in order to avoid unnecessary attrition. When we see uh, an area set free, just the way we see an individual set free, it is important to walk in that freedom and to adhere to the principles of freedom and discipleship um, in order to maintain that freedom. And it's the same for an area. We need to guard, keep and occupy um, the freedom and the healing of the land to avoid unnecessary attrition. Because we know what happens when there's an empty, li empty life or there's an empty land. In Matthew 12, 43, 45, Jesus said, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Now that applies to individuals, of course, who have been delivered, but Jesus applies it here to a, a generation in Israel. That this applies. That if there's not a fullness of God's presence and spirit in the, in the place, if they don't embrace the gospel of the kingdom as they didn't in Jesus' day, well then the enemy will come in and seven more of his friends will come and the, the, the latter state of the people will be worse than the former. So this is so serious and Jesus applies it to a generation. Fourthly, do spiritual warfare. Um, and I would encourage you to do this with the church, not going off as lone rangers. But particularly the church in an area, it's better that if the church in an area unite together and do this together because they're given authority in that area. And we need to be careful about running off and doing things ourselves. Um, uh, we need to be guided by the Lord in all these things. So you see that this is how to make a difference. Uh, ground level warfare that affects a heavenly shift with earthly results is to preach the gospel of the kingdom, to come in the opposite spirit that pervades the territory, um, to bind and loose, to maintain the freedom and to do spiritual warfare as the church uh, adhering to the correct protocols, uh, biblically speaking. So we want to see the big picture. Let's not underestimate the importance of one life. Jesus was always interested in the individual. But let's remember the impact 
that one life set free can have on a whole community, even on a whole nation. So I hope this has been a benefit to you. I just want to pray with you at the end of this session and indeed the end of this series that you will be carriers of this gospel of the kingdom, not just in word, but in works, and that you will see many healed and delivered for the glory of Jesus Christ. Do keep in touch with us. Let us know your progress. If you have any questions, we'll, if you're doing the course, we'll have an opportunity for that. Um, unfortunately, we can't uh, answer everything um, that everybody asks through the website, but nevertheless, we'll try to help you if we can point you in the right direction but thank you so much for being with us and following with us but just as we pray I want to pray a prayer that God will impart to us whatever we need in order to help others to freedom would you unite with me just now and join me in this prayer father thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and I thank you that he was sent to set the captives free and heal the brokenhearted and just as he was anointed and has taught us to go into all the world and preach this same gospel and to Put into practice all that he taught us to do. Lord, I pray that you will anoint us with the same Holy Spirit power. That you will impart to us these divine abilities that are not of ourselves, but are holy of you. For you are the healer. You are the deliverer and saviour, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray for that impartation to those who are listening and, and have been following through in this course. That they will step out in faith and they will see you move in miraculous ways. But Lord, we pray above all that, and, and individual lives are so important to you. It was for individuals, Lord Jesus, that you died. We know that you want us to disciple nations and you want us to, to bring the gospel of the kingdom to the whole world. And to see whole countries transformed through the power of the gospel. And we pray that in our day and generation we will see that in our country wherever we live. In our towns and communities among our families. So we thank you for this. We give you the praise and the glory for the wonderful good news of hope that we have. In Jesus name we pray. And I pray a special blessing upon each person who is engaged in this course. In Jesus name. Amen.